Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. How are you? I pray that you are well, always, 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 and I am fine. Uh, All is well here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope in Winsboro, Texas. We're moving ahead, and things are just so, so beautiful. Uh, We're putting uh, a lot together for uh, a couple of work days we're going to have, and uh, we'll welcome anybody to be a part of that, if if they wish it, if they can get here. but we're going to go forward with Lent because um, I know that some people are struggling with fasting already. Um, I don't blame them. Um, and so I thought, keeping with the theme of Lent, we'll read uh, St. Robert Bellarmine's note on fasting because the saints who have gone before us, they're cheering us on. They really, really help us. <clears throat> And St. Bellarmine says, the fruit and advantages of fasting can easily be proved. And first, fasting is most useful in preparing the soul for prayer and the contemplation of divine things. As the angel Raphael saith, quote, prayer is good with fasting. And I tell you personally, I notice myself, when I'm hungry, my mind is sharper, I'm more energetic. But when I'm full, or when I even just satisfy my hunger, I'm a bit sluggish and down. Even my mood is a little down. So fasting is is truly wonderful for cleansing, for thought processes, um, for focusing on spiritual things. Thus Moses, for 40 days, prepared his soul by fasting before he presumed to speak with God. So Elias fasted 40 days, that thus he might, might be able, as far as human nature would permit, to hold converse with God. And so Daniel, by a fast of three weeks, was prepared for receiving the revelations of God. And so the church has appointed fasts on the vigil of great festivals that Christians might be more fit for celebrating the divine solemnities. See, beloved, if we fast, then we can feast. If life is one continuous feast, there's no more feast at all. He continues with another quote, another advantage of fasting is that it tames the flesh and such a fast must be particularly pleasing to God because he is pleased when we crucify the flesh with its vices and concupiscences as St. Paul teaches us in his epistle to the Galatians. And for this reason, he says himself, quote from St. Paul, but I chastise my body and bring it into subjection lest perhaps when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Another advantage to fasting, St. Bellarmine says, is that we honor God by our fasts. Because when we fast for his sake, we honor him. Thus the Apostle Paul speaks in his epistle to the Romans, quote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing unto God, your reasonable service. 
and in the Greek, reasonable service, is reasonable worship. And of this worship, St. Luke speaks when mentioning the prophetess Anna. St. Luke says, and she was a widow until four score and four years, who departed not from the temple by fastings and prayers, serving night and day. Luke chapter 2. Again, fasting uh, is a fourth advantage in fasting. St. Bellarmine says a fourth advantage fasting hath is being a satisfaction for sin. Many examples in Holy Writ prove this. The Ninevites appeased God by fasting, as Jonah testified. The Jews did the same, for by fasting with Samuel, they appeased God and gained the victory over their satisfied God. In the times of Judith and Esther, the Hebrews obtained mercy from God by no other and mourning. I'll tell you just for myself personally, it was just a few days ago that I was, um, uh, we don't fast between meals during the whole of the year, not just during Lent. We simply don't fast. And we don't have dessert except on holy days and Sundays. Um, It's just the way we live our religious life. Um, There's nothing wrong with snacking and all of that. Um, But uh, just a few days ago, I was really hungry. I was energetic because we had a lot of work ahead of us. But I was really hungry. So I took a little snack, which I shouldn't have taken. I took a little snack. I kind of, uh, we don't have lunch. We have a light breakfast and then we have one meal at six but I was so hungry in the middle of the afternoon, I took a little snack. And immediately, um, I wasn't hungry anymore. But my emotions, my energy sunk. I, I had half the energy, half the will, because I satisfied that hunger. And I shouldn't have. Um, and so it's not, not necessarily a matter of sin, but it, it was the absence of virtue. And so you may experience that with your own body. But fasting is uh, a tremendous means of clarifying the mind um, and helping the body to be helpful, healthy. And here's uh, St. Bellarmine's thoughts on how to go about fasting. The chief, the chief end of fasting is the mortification of the flesh, that the spirit may be more strengthened. For this purpose, we must use only spare and unsavory diet. And this our mother, the church, points out since she commands us to take only one full meal in the day and then not to eat flesh or white meats, but only herbs or fruit. That's the Lenten diet, beloved. One full meal. This Tertullian expresses by two words in his book on the resurrection of the flesh, where he calls the food of those that fast late and dry meats. Now those do not certainly observe this, who on their fasting days eat as much in one meal as they do on other days, at their dinner and supper together. And who at that one meal prepare so many dishes at different fishes and other things to please their palate. If it helps, you want to know what we do here at the Daughters of Mary. We, we have one source of protein with a salad. 
It could be a piece of fish or tuna fish with a salad. Last night we had a, a baked sweet potato with a salad, just simple. And that was our whole meal. And we didn't starve. It was fine. Um, let me just see, read this right from the beginning again, this, this sentence here. Those who um, do not certainly observe this, who on their fasting days eat as much in one meal as they do on other days, at their dinner and supper together, and who at that one meal prepare so many dishes of different fishes and other things to please their palate, that it seems to be a dinner intended not for weepers and fasters, but for a nuptial banquet that is to continue throughout most of the night. Those who fast thus do not certainly derive the least fruit from their fasting. I also want to mention, apart from fasting, apart from Lent, this is new in the last couple of generations, uh, that parents, mothers ask their children what they want for dinner. Or if the child says, I don't like that, whatever's being served, well, what can I get you? As if they're in a restaurant. Mothers, you make one meal for dinner, not with choices, one meal for dinner, and that's what everyone eats. If they don't want to eat it, that's their choice, but they don't eat anything else. That's not in fasting, that's normal family life. That teaches gratitude for food. Our life is not a constant smorgasbord. St. Bellamon continues, nor do those derive any fruit who, although they may eat more moderately, yet on fasting days, do not abstain from games, parties, quarrels, dissensions, lascivious songs, and immoderate laughing. And what is still worse, commit the same crimes as they would on ordinary days. See, through Lent, beloved, we're to be in the wilderness with our Jesus. These people also spent that time which ought to have been devoted to prayer in profane quarrels and even in contentions, in fine, so far, in fine, so far, were they from attending to spiritual things as they ought to have done on the fasting days, they added sin to sin and impiously attacked their neighbors. See, I, I know there are people who give up chocolate or coffee or candy or um, peanut butter, whatever it may be, in the way of food. No, you don't have to give up food except to a fast and not eat meat on Friday. Um, but, um, but their attitude doesn't change. Of, of, they're not in a penitential spirit. And they add sin to sin uh, and impiously attack their neighbors. These and other such sins ought those pious people to avoid who wish their fasting to be pleasing to God and useful to themselves they may then hope to live well and die a holy death. There's the uh, music, dear ones, for our first break. We'll continue with this and talk more about almsgiving when we come back from the break. And at the second break, uh, we'll welcome your calls and your emails with anything that's on your heart, toll free, one 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com and we'll be right back.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale? Moses heard God's voice in a bush? Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven? Or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the result. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Oh, beloved, this is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the Programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, I am live and we are... Um, in our, our, uh, the second half of our um, uh, first half hour. I'm, I'm getting distracted here. Um, and we're talking about fasting during Lent. And we're going to continue with St. Bellarmine, who says, Lastly, it is necessary above all things, if we wish to be saved and to die a good death, diligently to inquire, either by our own reading and meditation, or by consulting holy and learned men, whether our superfluous riches can be retained without sin. Now we're talking about almsgiving during Lent. We went from fasting to almsgiving. During Lent, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Whether our superfluous, uh, our extra riches, can be retained without sin, or whether we ought of necessity to give them to the poor. And again, what are to be understood by superfluous, superfluities, am I saying that right, Um, and what by necessary goods. It may happen that to some men moderate riches may be superfluous, while to others great riches may be absolutely essential. But since this treatise does not include nor require tedious scholastic questions, I will briefly note passages from Holy Writ, that's Holy Scripture, and the Fathers, and so end this part of the subject. 
the passes of Scripture um, is, quote, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Again, he that hath two coats, let him give to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do in like manner. And the twelfth chapter of St. Luke, it is said, of one who had such great riches that he scarcely knew what to do with them. Jesus says, thou fool, this night do they require, um, this night do they require thy soul of thee. And St. Augustine, in the 15th book of his homilies, and the seventh homily explains these words to mean that the rich man perished forever because he made no use of his surplufia, oh, I can't speak it, superfluous riches, his extra riches. The passages from the fathers are chiefly these. St. Basil, in his sermon to the rich, thus speaks, quote, And thou, art thou not a robber? Because what thou hast received to be given away, thou supposest to be thy own? End quote. And a little farther, he continues, quote, Wherefore, as much as thou art able to give, so much dost thou injure the poor. End quote. I remember... Um, a time not far back, where um, a couple of people gave us what they wanted to give to the poor, and they gave it to us for the poor because they said to us, daughters of Mary, we know you serve the poor and reach out to the poor, which we do. And they said, well, we're giving this to you for the poor. Now, there are some good things in there, including money, and that could have been a temptation for us to keep it for our community, but we did not, not a single penny of it. We gave every bit to the poor. It was not ours to keep. So um, uh, if, we, if we are given things to give to the poor, we must. St. Ambrose, in his 81st sermon, says, quote, What injustice do I commit? If whilst I do not steal the goods of others, I keep diligently what is my own. Impudent word, dost thou say thy own? What is this? It is no less a crime to steal than it is not to give to the poor out of thy abundance. See? But it's mine. But God gives us things to share, to give away. And if he gives us an abundance and we keep it, we're thieves. Because he trained Israel all throughout their time, throughout all their years, to always give to the poor. Um, Oh, dear. I do this every day. I lose where I am at. I'm so sorry. Hold on now, please. I think I've got it back. Hold on. Okay. Um, and in the matter of the gospel, beloved, I remember um, Father Stan Fortuna with Father Groeschel's order of the friars uh, who said, we are given the gospel to give to the whole world, all of us. And if we keep it to ourselves, we are thieves. If we don't evangelize, if we don't tell people the way of salvation, we are thieves. Nothing we give, nothing we've received is our own. We have nothing, Apostle Paul says, that we haven't received. It's not ours. We are stewards of the good graces of God. And if we are received more than we need, it's not to put in the bank for 20 years from now when we want to build a house. It is to share with the poor. And yes, it's okay to save, but to share with the poor. St. Jerome thus writes in his epistle, 
um, quote, if you possess more than is necessary for your subsistence, give it away, and thus you will be a creditor. St. John Chrysostom says in his 34th homily to the people of Antioch, quote, do you possess anything of your own? The interest of the poor is entrusted to you, whether the estate is yours by your own just labors or you have acquired it by inheritance. You see, beloved, nothing is ours. Everything we've received is from God. And we should give a portion of everything we have to the poor. St. Augustine in his track on the 147th Psalm says, quote, Our superfluous wealth belongs to the poor. When it is not given to them, we possess what we have no right to retain. And St. Leo says, quote, Temporal goods are given to us by the liberality of God, and he will demand an account of them, for they were committed to us for disposal as well as possession. So, beloved, you must teach your children this. If they receive an allowance, when I was a child, a dime a week was a fortune. Yes, I'm 300 years old. But if I have a dime a week, I need to put a penny, tenth, a tenth of that away for the poor, or more if I want, but no less. So if your child receives a dollar or five dollars a week, they need to take 10% of that and give it to the poor. Save up to give to the poor, or daily, they have to give it away to the poor. And St. Gregory, in the third part of his pastoral care, says, those who are to be admonished, who whilst they desire not the goods of others, do not distribute their own, that so they may carefully remember that as common origin of all men, the common origin of all men is from the earth, so also its produce is common to them all. In vain, then, they think themselves innocent, who appropriate to themselves the common gifts of God. I tell you, beloved, we live, I personally live every day, with such um, gratitude and awe of what we've been given. Um, we've been given a lot here in Winsboro. And yes, people have been repaid off. We, we don't owe a penny. We didn't loan a penny. But people came together and um, raised enough for us to purchase this land and the buildings on it. And it's more than we need. It's more than we need. So we, we, have a, we put a mobile home on our property recently for those who need quick shelter. We're, we're um, uh, restructuring one of our big buildings to be a refuge. Um, and we're building out in the field. Um, and we've just completed a huge greenhouse, which is going to be uh, um, provide food for um, 10 communities, not just us. So... Um, too much given, much is required. And we've been given so much. And it just can't be for our community alone. We have the sense everything we have is from God. And we keep what we need, but we don't keep anything. We use what we need. And just the rest is for the world. St. Bernard, in his epistle to Henry, Archbishop of Sens, say, says, quote, It is ours for the poor cry out for what you squander. You cruelly take away from us what you spend foolishly. St. Thomas also says, quote, The superfluous riches which many possess by the natural law belong to the support of the poor. And again, 
The Lord requires us to give to the poor, not only the tenth part, but all of our superfluous wealth. In fine, the same author, in the fourth book of his sentences, St. Thomas says, he asserts that this is the common opinion of all theologians. I add also that if one be inclined to contend that taking the strict letter of the law, he is not bound to give his superfluous riches to the poor, he is obliged to do so at least by the law of charity. It matters little whether we are condemned to hell through want of justice or of charity. Those are strong sentences, beloved, and I could see the hair go up on some backs or arms. How dare? What do I have is mine. No, it's not. It's God's. Every single thing we have belongs to God, and we are a steward of all that he gives us. And if he gives us a lot, it's because he wants to see what kind of stewards we are and that we should be his vessel to those who have little. But I earn my way. So what? Maybe you have, maybe you had a better background. Maybe you had inherited some. Maybe you work your hands off because you have the ability. What about those who don't have hands, who don't have your mind? Well, what about those who are slough, slough off and are depressed? Well, if I don't slough off and I'm not depressed, I need to help them. I need to help them in gratitude for what God has given me. Beloved, if you're raising good Catholic children, you must teach them that everything they have, they have a right to nothing. Everything they have is a gift from God. Everything. You give them a birthday gift. It's theirs. But it is theirs from God through you to be a good steward of, which is why when they ruin toys and break them overnight, they don't understand that it's not theirs. It, they're a steward of everything they're given. And if they no longer have use for a toy, it must not be put in the closet or thrown away. It must be given to a child who doesn't have toys. Raise your children that way, and you will raise saints. And live that way yourselves. Your children will learn nothing that you don't model for them. They will learn absolutely nothing that you don't model for them. So fasting prepares the soul for prayer. It tames the flesh. It is a way to honor God. It can be satisfaction for sin. This is what all the saints agree on, beloved. And this is what we need. It'll give us encouragement for fasting. So when your stomach growls and you say, I want that chocolate bar that I gave up, um, go over this. You are... It's a form of prayer to not give in. It will tame your flesh and show your lower faculties that you are the master of your flesh and that you honor God and that it is a part, partial satisfaction for your sins. That's a great gift. Beloved, we'll be right back um, following this break and we'll have a half hour for your calls, your emails, uh, with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back, dear ones.
Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112, then share your testimonial with us. Ask a Priest Live, weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. We'll bring you a different priest each weekday where you can participate in a live Q&A on the topics that matter. To get your question in for Father, call 1-877-511-5483 while the show is live, email us anytime at priests at thestationofthecross.com or visit our show page at thestationofthecross.com slash askapriest. Download the app to take our programming with you wherever you go. Hear what listeners are saying about the regularly updated iCatholic Radio app. The programs on iCatholic Radio are uplifting, educational, and have served to deepen my faith as a Catholic. Thank you for this amazing station. Download the free iCatholic Radio app in your Android or Apple store today. If you already have the app, please consider giving us a five-star review or telling a friend about it. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live and I'm thrilled to be with you. And this is our half hour together. Um, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from Megan. Megan says, Dear Mother, I'm writing because of an experience I had this morning with the Monsignor of my parish at the morning mass I attended. My fiancé and I, who are both Catholic, agreed to attend Sunday Mass together each week and one additional Mass during the weekdays to grow in holiness together and prepare for the sacrament of marriage. Very good. This morning at the weekday Mass, it's a Novus Ordo parish, I went to receive communion on the tongue. I've been doing this for several months now as we try to attend our city's Latin parish as often as possible. I've never had an issue doing this. The host has never dropped, nor has the priest ever had difficulty placing it in my mouth prior to this. This morning, however, when I opened my mouth to receive on the tongue, Monsignor looked at me angrily and with disgust on his face and scolded me, saying, Stick your tongue out. It was just his demeanor and aggressiveness that made me so upset. I tried to remember I had just received Jesus and said a prayer, 
but I almost started crying. My fiancé noticed how angry the priest looked and asked me if I was okay. I pretty much do not want to attend this particular Mass anymore because I'm so embarrassed and I feel like Monsignor doesn't like me as I have had some other awkward encounters with him. My fiancé and I are debating fully switching over to the traditional Latin Mass, but this would not allow us to attend our weekly weekday Mass for the first for the time being, can you please offer insight? Thank you. God bless you, Mother Miriam Megan. Megan, that's um, it, that's a that's a problem you have. Uh, it would much be better. It would much be much better if you could attend the Latin Mass full time. Um, I don't know which one of you cannot get to the Latin Mass weekdays. So you either don't go together, and one of you goes to the Latin, which means you would go to the Latin. He'd probably go to the Novus Ordo. Uh, that's fine. But if you wish to continue going together during the week, just uh, forgive the priest because he was out of sorts completely and take it as instruction that you need to um, put your tongue out further in order for him to comfortably put the host on your tongue. So take that seriously. Put your tongue out further then not just open your mouth. And... Um, and then continue to go there if you wish to go with your fiancé. It's not that big a deal. Uh, the priest was out of sorts and wrong. But um, if it's more important for you to go with your fiancé, uh, receive the embarrassment. God, uh, in order to make us humble, uh, gives us humiliations. So uh, receive that from God. Take it also as an instruction and pray for the priest who uh, lacked virtue in that. And then you can continue to go with your fiancé. I think that should be the answer, unless, of course, um, you simply um, want to go to the Latin Mass, which I, I would choose. Um, so, um, but again, as long as you can both go to the Latin Mass, if you only go once a week to the Novus Ordo, I think there'd be no problem of you're just going on Sunday with each other. If you went every day, it might be... Um, uh, a different situation. Okay, it's your choice. There's no right or wrong. But um, uh, again, just look at it as the priest had an off day or he lacks virtue and charity. Um, okay, let me see. Um, beloved, um, we are, looks like we're out of questions. Um, let me see now. So, um, Daniel, uh, do you see? Uh, can you be heard on the air, Daniel? Uh, there's two questions that I haven't covered that I'm going to hold off, but we're out of questions. So, if you have any others, uh, Daniel, on on um, Facebook or else. So, beloved, um, let me just see. Um, I see some questions on here that we've already covered. Uh, so let me just take them off. I don't want to recover them. Um, okay, so, yeah, okay. Daniel is um, covering for James right now, and um, he's doing, he's got a lot on his plate. So we're going to get some more emails up. We have plenty, beloved. This would be a perfect time. Um, if you'd like to call in and ask a question, uh, we are free. So that's that's a good thing. 
Um, and let me just uh, see this because we have so many, but we've covered so many and they're still on the board. So, okay. Um, okay, we'll wait. Um, let me let me do something else. Let me cover um, something else on Lent um, while we're waiting for more questions. And again, you're free. You're utterly free to call in and to email with anything on your heart. So uh, we only have two emails that I'm that I'm saving for uh, later in the week. Um, let me give you a little word on um, what happened just here. On St. Augustine for Lent, he said, Let all be of one mind, all faultlessly faithful while on this journey, breathing with desire and burning with love for their one country. St. Augustine says this, By the help of the merciful Lord, the temptations of the world, the snares of the devil, the suffering of the world, the enticement of the flesh, the surging waves of troubled times and all corporal and spiritual adversities are to be overcome by almsgiving, fasting, and prayer. These practices ought to glow throughout the entire life of a Christian, but especially as the Paschal Solemnity approaches, which stirs up our minds by this yearly return, renewing in them the salutary memory that our Lord, the only begotten Son of God, showed mercy to us, and fasted and prayed for us. As a matter of fact, um, the Greek word signifies mercy in Latin. Moreover, what mercy could be greater, so far as we poor wretches are concerned, than that which drew the creator of the heavens down from heaven, clothed the maker of the earth with earthly vesture, made him who in eternity remains equal to his father, equal to us in mortality, and imposed on the Lord of the universe the form of a servant, so that he, our bread, might... Now listen to this, beloved. God made him who is equal to our Father, equal to us also in mortality, and imposed on our Lord Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the form of a servant, so that he, our bread might hunger, that he, our fulfillment, might thirst, that he, our strength, might be weakened, that he, our health, might be injured, that he, our life, might die. All of this he did to satisfy our hunger, to moisten our dryness, to soothe our infirmity, to wipe out our iniquity, to enkindle our charity, what greater mercy could there be than that the Creator be created, the ruler be served, the redeemer be sold, the exalted be humbled, and the reviver be killed? Oh, beloved, I bless God for St. Augustine. In regard to almsgiving, we're commanded, St. Augustine says, to give bread to the hungry but he first gave himself over to cruel enemies for us so that he might give himself as food to us when we were hungry. We are commanded to receive the stranger. For our sake he came unto his own, and his own received him not. In a word, let our soul bless him 
who becomes a propitiation, that is a satisfaction, for all its iniquities, who heals all its diseases, who redeems its life from corruption, who crowns it in mercy and pity, who satisfies its desires in blessings. Let us give alms alms the more generously and the more frequently in proportion as the day draws nearer on which the supreme almsgiving accomplished for us is celebrated. Fasting without mercy is worthless to him who fasts. I know some people, beloved, who torture everybody else because they're fasting. And it's useless if we fast without mercy, without charity. Our fasting is useless. Let us fast, humbling our souls as the day draws near, on which the teacher of humility humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Let us imitate his cross, fastening to it our passions, subdued by the nails of abstinence. Let us chastise our body, subjecting it to obedience, and lest we slip into illicit pleasures through our undisciplined flesh, let us, in taming it, sometimes withdraw licit pleasures. Self-indulgence and drunkenness ought to be shunned on other days. Throughout this season, however, even legitimate eating is to be checked. Adultery and fornication must always be abhorred and avoided, but on these days, special restraint must be practiced, even by married persons. The flesh which has been accustomed to restraint in regard to its own satisfaction will readily submit to you when there is question of clinging to another's goods. In fact, beloved, every time any one of our sisters receives a gift, could be from their parents, could be from their children, could be from their best friends, could be from anyone, it is not theirs to keep. Any gift, whether it's Christmas, their birthday, Easter, during the year, no matter what it is, any gift any sister receives is turned over to the prioress. Always. Because it's not theirs. Anything, any, they own nothing. I own nothing. Every one of us owns nothing. One of the sisters says, um, someone wants to borrow my pencil, can I give it to them? I said, it's not yours. It's not yours to give away. That's why you need permission to give it away. It's not yours. Nothing we have is ours, beloved. And so when a sister receives a gift, she turns it over to the prioress, unless it's a pair of socks. If the sister has all she needs, I'm going to say to that sister, give it to sister so-and-so because she needs new socks. And everyone understands that, and we all rejoice. And the parents don't always understand that, but it's a lesson for them. It's a teaching for them. Of course, care must be taken to avoid merely changing instead of lessening pleasures. For you may observe that certain persons seek out rare liquors in place of their ordinary wine, that they with much greater relish counterbalance by the juice of another fruits what they lose by denying themselves the juice of grapes, that in place of meat they procure food of manifold variety and appeal, that they store up as opportune for this season 
delights which they would be ashamed to indulge in at other times. In this way, the observance of Lent becomes not the curbing of old passions, but an opportunity for new pleasures. Take measures in advance, my brethren, with as much diligence as possible to prevent these attitudes from creeping upon you. Let frugality be joined to fasting. As surfeiting the stomach is to be censured, so stimulants of the appetite must be eliminated. It is not that certain kinds of food are to be detested, but that bodily pleasure is to be checked. Esau was centered. He lost his birthright, not for having desired a fat calf or plump birds, but for having coveted a dish of pottage, can you imagine? And holy King David repented of having excessively desired water. There's the music for our second break. We'll be right back uh, for your calls and emails, beloved. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. I am wonderfully made, for ye formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. I am an entirely new, unique, and unrepeatable action. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern to welcome back Father Gerald Murray of EWTN. We're going to be talking about the disappearance of canon law. We're seeing documents and practices that ignore canon law. What's going on here? Find out on The Catholic Current on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Beloved to Mother Miriam Live, this is our last segment. We have 10 minutes. Again, plenty of time if you wish. Our lines are open to call in with anything on your heart. Toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Jacob who says, What should I do for confession? I have a long list and want to be through 
but I'm afraid of holding up the line for those that are behind me in line. Also, my priest hears confession before Mass, and often Mass is sometimes delayed five to ten minutes because of the confession line. Is there anything I in the congregation can do to help these matters? Thanks, Mother. Jacob, don't worry about that. Let the priest worry about that. You go with your sins to confession. And if the priest, Mass is delayed because the priest is helping people in confession, that's his decision. Don't you worry about that. Um, one thing you can do, if you have a long list, I don't know how often you go to confession. The church recommends, the church only requires once a year, but recommends at least once a month. Um, if you have a long list, uh, you might try going more frequently, maybe twice a month or once a week. Um, that's one thing, so you don't wait until you have um, a real long list. Uh, the other thing is to perhaps get help in in how to confess your sins. So, for example, some people confess their sins and they tell a whole story. Well, I met my friend last week, and we went to lunch, and as we were talking, he said this, and I said this, and I realized later um, probably what I did was gossip, and I shouldn't have done it. So that's an awfully long story. All you need to do is say, um, Father, I sinned by gossiping. End of story. He doesn't need to know the circumstance. He doesn't know, need to know. He may say how many times. He may, or he may question you on the circumstance, and then you can tell him. But just give him the sin. Don't give him a story. Well, I didn't mean to, and I, I, really, I haven't done this for three months. Don't do all that. Just confess your sin. Um, and that might shorten things quite a bit. Um, and again, if you have a long list, it may mean that you... Um, might want to go to confession uh, more frequently. The other thing is, if you think your confession is going to take a half hour for one reason or another, whether it's a general confession or you really have a lot to talk to Father about, then make a personal appointment with him rather than going just before Mass. Call him and just say, Father, I, I want to make a, a longer confession. May I have an appointment with you? And, and that, that's what you can do. Um, Landon's on the line. Hi, Landon. Hi, Mother Miriam. Hi, where are you from? Um, Florida. Okay, very good, sweetheart. Um, are you on a cell, are you on a, are you driving? Yes. I won't talk to anyone while they're driving, sweetheart. No, so, my mom's driving. Oh, you're a passenger. Okay, go ahead then. Go ahead. So I was wondering, I have a question. Can you explain how the Freemasons infiltrated the church? Well, it's been over a thousand years. It's been a long, long time. And um, there's a book by Bella Dodd, D-O-D-D, and I forget the title of it. She's a convert to the Catholic faith, but she explained that she personally helped about 1,200 men who were Freemasons, entered the church. And she explained uh, publicly that uh, what the Masons did was get, and, and communists, get uh, both, get good-looking, intelligent men to enter seminaries. They weren't Catholic. They posed as Catholics. They didn't have true faith. They were imposters. Um, and they went through seminary, and they were ordained as priests, and now a number of them are bishops and cardinals. 
And there, the plan was from Satan uh, to put these imposters in in order that they could infiltrate the church and bring false doctrine and destroy the faith. They're Satan's emissaries. Does that make sense, Landon? Yes. It's awful. And I would say it's not a thing of the past. It's as true today, if not more so than before. There are many Freemasons in the church, even in the higher echelons. And the only protection we have is to truly deepen our knowledge and understanding and love of the faith. And then we know what is true from what is false. Is that okay, sweetheart? Yes. I have How one old? more thing. Go ahead, Landon. Uh, me and my brothers want, would like to be, want to become priests. Could you pray for us? Yes. How old are you? Eleven. Oh, that's fantastic. And how old are your brothers? Um, Younger? Eight, eight and, and ten. Okay, this is fantastic. I think it's you're, that you're not too young for your folks to search out a very holy Latin mass priest to guide you a very holy Latin Mass priest to guide you. You're all of you, 8, 10, and 11, you're of the perfect age to begin to be formed. So if your parents agree and can possibly do that, the priest can form three of you at one time, and he's the same priest that should hear your confessions individually, but he can give you a class once a month or twice a month, whatever he thinks appropriate, and he can form you. I think that would be very appropriate at your age. Okay, Landon, and we will pray for you. Our community will pray for you, and I ask our listeners to pray for you. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome, Landon. God bless you, dear one. Um, We have an email from Sean. Sean says, please explain where in Scripture it says not to take part in the sacraments. What a strange question. Not to take part in the sacraments. He says, I struggle to understand why the Catholic Church is preventing people from partaking in the sacraments. This is extremely contrary to Jesus. I hear stories of people being denied communion because they took birth control or missed Mass. The entire point of eating and drinking of Jesus is to be washed clean and prevent evil, correct? Why would it be used as a punishment for sin? I understand that we want to be in a state of grace as much as possible, but denying someone Jesus seems like a sin of the church. Absolutely not, Sean. Uh, You're very, very wrong here, and I'm going to give you the answer, but I'm going to finish reading your email first. We're, We're not far from the close of the program. Help me understand why the church would deny this to anyone. I recognize it is important to partake in all sacraments, including reconciliation and penance, and this should be done in a timely manner. I don't think it justifies denying people Jesus, since Jesus is the way. Jesus is exactly what sinners need. If a priest of the church is denying people the sacrament they need to partake in getting them into the state of receiving the sacrament, ASAP, we all need Jesus. Well, we all need Jesus, Sean, but you're wrong. If someone is not in a state of grace, we don't receive the sacrament to get into a state of grace. We need to be reconciled with Jesus first. And once we are reconciled with him, 
then we can receive the sacraments. Um, if we are in mortal sin, we are separated from Jesus. Birth control is mortal sin. Uh, missing Mass on Sunday is mortal sin. Let me just read you um, one passage from Scripture, and then I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and read the whole thing. Um, uh, Paul says, um, Oh dear, I received from the Lord... Um, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that's if he takes birth control or misses mass on Sunday, will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And that's why some of you are weak and die. In other words, if we're out, if we're in mortal sin, we bring condemnation on ourselves if we receive the Lord's communion at a time we are not in communion with him. We'll speak with you all tomorrow.